welcome our online audience. Thank you for joining us. And it's almost sounding repetitious, but from the bottom of our hearts, we are truly grateful that you're able to join us by web stream, and we welcome you every Sunday morning. We are continuing in our Sermon on the Mount series, which is the Upside Down Kingdom. And today's message I've entitled, Christians Tell the Truth. That should go without saying, shouldn't it? But dare I say, if we would dig a little deeper, we would come to see that we don't always <laughs> speak the truth. So let's see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, nor can we grow any other hair, or trust me, I would have done that a long time ago. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Now listen to these next words of Jesus. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so Holy Spirit, we ask you to pen the word of God upon the tablets of our hearts. Make your word part of our DNA that we might experience the transformation that the kingdom of God brings into our lives. Be glorified as your word runs swiftly this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, over the uh, past weeks, we've been in this section of uh, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is challenging us who dare to be kingdom disciples. And remember, he's not speaking to just anybody. He's not speaking to church people. He's speaking to kingdom people to understand how he has come to bring in a law that supersedes the law of the Old Testament, the law that they revered, what they believed were the only demands of God. Jesus comes along and says, if you think they are the demands of God, you've got another thing coming because I've come to exceed what was required of you in the Old Testament. And Jesus makes these sobering words in verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then what does Jesus conclude this whole long section with in chapter 5? In verse 48, this challenge, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that's not sinless perfection, we know. Because while we are in the flesh, there will always be that possibility that we're going to falter and fail, and we do. And I'm the first to confess, but I'm so thankful that the scripture says when we sin, we have an advocate 
with the Father. You don't have to pay for this lawyer. He's your attorney, attorney in heaven who is there waiting for you to come and confess your sin. And when we do, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we are to be striving to live every day of our lives more godlike. And what's our standard? Maybe you have a very holy person sitting next to you in this church this morning and you admire their character and their Christianity, but that's not your standard. Our standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to come to the full measure of the stature of Christ. That's the goal for every New Testament Christian. That's the goal for the church of Jesus Christ. And the first step to achieving that level of righteousness is to exceed the righteousness of the church Christian who feels that if they do this, then God is patting them on the shoulder and saying, well done. But the reality is, as we've seen in the last three messages that we shared, that there are actually six arenas that Jesus addresses in chapter five. The first one was anger in our hearts. And we think that, well, we're allowed to have anger. That's not killing anyone. But Jesus says that anger is at the root of all murder. Someone has well said murder is anger full grown. So Jesus says, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness that requires you not to kill anyone, and you think you're justified in being angry, you're dead wrong. Because God sees that as murder in its seed form, and it needs to be cut out of our lives. Secondly, we looked at lust in our hearts that leads to adultery and actually all sexual impurity. And the scripture admonishes us that whatever offends us, whatever causes us to take the bait and to fall into Satan's trap of becoming adulterers in the sight of God, when that lust causes us to imagine in our mind the act before we commit it, God says, you've already committed it. Pluck out that eye, cut off that hand. And then the third illustration that Jesus gave was concerning his teaching on marriage and divorce. And we recall the rabbinic school that said, you have a right to divorce your wife for any reason that you'd like. But Jesus says that in God's sight, the only justifiable cause for divorce is sexual infidelity. Well, it's not my purpose to re-preach those sermons. You could find them on the website if you've missed them. This morning, we come to this passage that deals with the utter importance of believers to always tell the truth. As we superficially read this passage, it's really easy to lead to some wrong and bad conclusions. For example, uh, we know that the Quakers will not take or swear in a court of law because they say that Jesus forbids that in Matthew 5 and 33. But Jesus certainly is not conveying that message in this verse. So if you're called into a court of law, don't think you're transgressing what Jesus said in Matthew 5:33 by swearing to tell the truth 
the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God. I don't know if in our liberal world we're even doing that anymore because it's become so commonplace and acceptable to always lie. In the very highest echelons of our society, in our government, it's just heartbreaking to see the lies and the deceptions that are coming out of those places. So Jesus is not speaking against oaths per se, but against the abuses that the Pharisees were doing in saying these oaths as a guise for their dishonesty. But to cover for their dishonesty, they would say, I swear, as if to mean I'm telling you the truth. So once again, Jesus is going to the very root of the problem. And we've seen over and over again that the root of the problem is not the sinful habit, but it is the sinful heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if lies come out of our mouth, that means there is deception and darkness in our hearts. Clearly, this was uh, not a sin only in Jesus' day that needed to be dealt with. But when you think about what's in the word of God, it's as old as the garden. And way back then, what happened? Satan told the first lie, and then Adam and Eve fell for the lie of the evil one. And what was the first evidence of their now corrupted, depraved, sinful nature? They lied. When God confronted them, they lied, they deceived. It wasn't my fault, I didn't do it. When instead of saying, God, I blew it, I disobeyed you and failed your commandment to not eat of that tree. Later in John's gospel in chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus reveals to us where all lying and all deception belongs. He said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. I mean, if the Spirit of God spoke those words directly to us, how would we feel? Here we are walking around as Christians, carrying our big black Bibles, speaking the language of a Christian, doing all the Christian things, when Jesus looks into our hearts and says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, the devil, are the desires that you want to do. Who was this devil? He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When the devil speaks, what does he speak? He speaks a lie. He speaks from his own resources. Why? Because he is a liar and the father of it. I know that's become a cliche and almost an idiomatic expression. The devil is the father of lies. Do we, do we grasp that? when we so easily come into alliance with him and from out of our mouth come dishonest words, even words if we say, I swear I'm telling the truth because we want to convince somebody that we're, we're really saying, saying it right. And yet God looks deeper 
into our hearts. And he knows what the real truth is. He's saying Satan invented lies. He invented lies. He is the father and the source of all that is not true. And so I want to challenge all of us as I challenged myself this morning. Whenever there is a departure from the truth, you can be sure the enemy is at work. And I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus and say the enemy has no place in me. But when I allow myself to go down that road where I lie, oh yeah, we Christians, we, we don't tell big black lies, we tell little white lies. But are they not still lies? Are they not still dishonest? I believe one of the earliest manifestations of our being born in sin is actually this penchant, this proclivity to lie. One research found that by four years of age, 90% of all children have grasped the concept of lying. Johnny, did you do that? No, I didn't do that. Johnny, did you eat that? No, and when the evidence is all over his face... From four years of age and from there, it just gets worse. This particular research that was done found that 60% of adults, now I'd hope these are unbelievers, but 60% of adults can't have a 10-minute conversation without somehow, some way lying. And maybe it's not blatant, yeah, maybe it's a little white lie, maybe it's a slight exaggeration, but those exaggerations happen. And this was what really astounded me, that within that 10-minute conversation, three lies are usually told. There were certainly a, a lot of other statistics that I could share with you that were presented as a result of this study, but the bottom line was encapsulated in the title of the article, which stated this, we are all big, fat liars. That's the sinful nature. That's the nature outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't need modern research to ascertain that fact because the reality is clearly outlined and stated in the word of God where Jeremiah says the heart, that's where the problem is. It is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. One translation says it is incurably sick. Aren't you thankful for salvation? Because he comes to change that desperately evil heart. People make promises, promises that they don't really mean because so many of these promises are so rarely kept. Let's confess, how many times when someone shares a problem with us and they, they, they unburden their heart and we say, oh, I'll be praying for you, and then we never pray. Jesus has a problem with all of this. And he challenges us in this passage of scripture that we must do it better than the religious leaders of his day. So let's, let's delve in a little deeper into uh, these verses that we've read this morning. Jesus said in verse 33, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. 
Now, Jesus is making reference to Old Testament scriptures where this issue of making oaths to the Lord addressed. And if uh, you're taking notes this morning, I invite you to uh, look up in your leisure, Leviticus 19 and verse 12. Numbers 30 and verse 2, and Deuteronomy 23 and verse 21. But after reading those passages, I realized that the foundation for these precepts that were given to the children of Israel are really all based on the third commandment. What is in the third commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I know what most of us always think, and I believe it is true. That when in a moment of anger, oh, God, help me. That's taken the name of God in vain in a very irreverent manner. But literally, this verse means, and I like this translation because it explains it, thou shalt not lift up the name of Jehovah thy God to vanity or falsehood. In other words, don't swear by the name of God and make an oath as if you're appealing to God. God, you're my witness in what I am saying is true when there is any shred of dishonesty in what you're saying. Because in doing so, you are defaming and there's a sacrilege to the name of God. You know, just a brief perusal of the Old Testament verifies that oath-taking in itself was not ever prohibited. In fact, Moses commanded the people of God in Deuteronomy 10 and verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast, and listen to this, and take oaths in his name. Take oaths in his name. And when we study the scriptures, what do we, what do we learn? How often did the Apostle Paul say, and God is my witness? He was swearing that what he was saying was the truth. And you know what's even more remarkable in the scripture? That there are so many references to God himself swearing by himself, taking an oath, a promise, for example, that never again would he flood the earth to destroy it. We also read in the Psalms how God promises, I'm raising my son up from the dead. I know no one ever came out of the grave, but I'm raising my son up out of the grave. He made promises to Israel that regardless of who would attack it, however they would be destroyed somehow, some way, that they were still God's people. Their land was Israel. He would always protect them. He would always be with them. And his promise for Israel would never, ever fail. And we know in history how many times the enemies of Israel had tried to destroy them, but they came back stronger and better than ever. And the only answer is because God promised and God made a way for them. Even in the Old Testament, I love that story of Balak, king of Moab, because he feared Israel, and he knew that because God was with Israel, he had no chance to stand, stand against that great army. So he calls for Balaam, a prophet, a prophet who happened to love money. And when Balak said, I will give you huge sums of money if you will curse Israel, if some of you don't believe in curses, there it is. 
It's possible that curses can be put on people, and that's why we need to live under the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to be sure that we open no doors to the enemy by holding bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. That's putting a curse. We curse ourselves by doing those things. When we're disobedient to the word of God, we are cursing ourselves, and then we wonder why we're living under this dark cloud, the curse that we've put ourselves under. And so Balaam said, well, I can only say what God tells me to say, but just maybe, just maybe I'll get lucky and be able to get all this money you're, you're going to give me. And it, it's a wonderful story in uh, Numbers 23 and a few of those chapters there. But every time he tried to curse, he could not curse. And listen to what he said to the king. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken? Will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. You've called me here to curse, but I can't curse what God has blessed. And I am blessing Israel. He has blessed. I cannot reverse it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I love the way the apostle in Hebrews underscores how God himself takes an oath. And today, that is the assurance that we have in our own lives. In Hebrews 6 and verse 17, God also himself bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. That's what an oath is all about. This is unchanging. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence. Do you have great confidence today? We can as we hold fast to the hope that lies before us. This hope is strong, it's trustworthy, it's the anchor of our soul. And it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Hallelujah. See, clearly when God made an oath, he wasn't appealing to a higher authority. He is the highest authority. <laughs> but it does not mean that he will not fulfill his word, because when he swears by himself, we can have an assurance that what God has spoken will come to pass. So whose report will you believe? The doctor will swear to you on 20 Bibles. I'm telling you what the x-ray says. I'm telling you what the MRI says. I'm telling you you have cancer and you have three months to live. Whose report will you believe? You're not coming out of this world until it's God's time for you to come out of this world because he has ordained all of your days before one of them came to be. God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. You know when God cut covenant with Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm gonna make you a father of many nations. I want you to look up at the sky. How many of you lately have looked up at a dark night sky? where the stars are shining so brightly and there are, there are so many stars, you just can't even imagine counting them because there are billions and billions of them. And God said to Abraham, that's what your seed is going to be. And Abraham says, but uh, God, I have one little problem here. 
I have no seed. I have no posterity. And God says, Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you. So get the animals lined up as they did as was the custom in those days. They took the heifer and the turtle doves and whatever else. They cut them in half. And the two people who were making covenant with one another walked in the middle signifying that what we say is true, this is irrevocable, this is unchanging, we are covenanting with one another that this is the way it will be. But God knew that he couldn't trust Abraham, so he put him to sleep. And he said, what I have determined to do, I will do, and I will pass through. And he did as a fiery furnace passing through those animals that were halved to ratify the covenant and the promise that he would make Abraham the father of many nations. And what does God say to Abraham? Abraham, know of a surety. I'm giving you my guarantee. I'm not a man that I can lie or could ever lie. Only truth issues forth from my mouth, and my promises are yes and amen. See, if our salvation depended on us, we'd be in trouble and we would surely tremble with fear, but thank God, it rests on his faithful promises. He will perfect that which concerns you. Faithful is he who called you, who also will do it. God is true to his word. So the problem that we're presented with this morning, uh, the question that is logically raised, if making vows was something that we read throughout the Bible and God even commanded through Moses, why does Jesus come along now and say, swear not at all? And the answer to that question is, in, first of all, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and, and everybody in that society, they just swore up and down. They told so many lies that all they could do was swear up and down that what I am saying is truth. And so even the most solemn arguments were brought into question. Are you really telling me the truth? You're swearing by heaven? You know, they, they, they swore by the earth. They swore by their life. They swore by their health. I mean, it's kind of almost comical, isn't it? I swear by that pew that I'm telling you the truth. Don't you believe me? But Jesus says that all things, even though they're not as significant as God himself, even though you're not calling God himself to be a witness, because they felt justified. Well, I could swear by the temple because everybody honors and reveres the temple. Jesus said, you're just being foolish. You blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold of the temple? Blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding? How blind, for which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you're swearing by it and by everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you're swearing by it and by God who lives in that temple. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by the God who sits on that throne. 
See, Jesus wants to ensure that his kingdom people don't fall into that trap and feel like, well, what I'm saying is really true and this is, I'm, I'm taking an oath, I'm swearing by it. So what's the fix? The fix is really simple. And I'm closing momentarily here. Explains there's no need to... That was the biggest compliment anyone could ever pay a pastor. And for those who are listening on YouTube, someone in my audience just said, oh, in disappointment that I would be closing this sermon soon. Thank you, Deborah. You're dear to my heart. Jesus said the answer is just always be 100% honest. Verse 37, just a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Beyond this is from the evil one. What's God calling us to as kingdom people? Saying what we mean and meaning what we say. I like the Message Bible in this passage because it makes the application of the scripture so clear and so plain. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you and then never doing it. Or saying, God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace and making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Now, let's be honest. That's the standard. And Jesus said, if our righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we'll never be able to enter into the kingdom. So the question is, can we, can we really be this totally honest that we never embellish, that we never tell a little tiny white lie because maybe in telling that white lie, we're not going to offend a person? I, I mean, there are so many nuances and, and ramifications to all of this. The answer to that question, is it impossible to do that? I believe the answer is yes. It is because we're human and no because if we are allowing the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to speak through us, to live through us, it is not impossible to rule over this carnal nature that we don't have to ever lie, we don't ever have to be deceptive, we don't ever have to flatter to get our way, just let your yes be yes and your no to be no. Think about it, where, where do our words come from? Up here? And what does the scripture say? We have the mind of Christ. Jesus was yes and no. He was black and white. He didn't sugar, sugarcoat anything when the truth needed to be told. The truth was told in, in its wholeness and its entirety. Do we have the mind of Christ? How did Jesus live his life? Can you imagine? that there would be one instance that he would somehow not reflect the character of the thrice holy God by being deceptive in any way. So if Jesus can cleanse us from sin, he can cleanse our minds, 
It can cleanse our hearts so that the words that proceed from our mouths are words that edify, that bring blessing, words that are full of integrity because we have hearts and lives that have integrity, the integrity of the Lord Jesus Christ, without any admixture of deceit or flattery. I'm closing with Malachi 3.16. I promise I'm closing this time. This is an amazing passage. If you didn't hear anything else, listen to this this morning. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened, and he heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. What a reminder that is, that God hears our conversation and he treasures our words and remembers our words when they are full of honesty and truth that reflect him. He writes them in a book of remembrance. That blows my mind. But it also challenges me to be really, really careful So we pray the prayer of the psalmist. So Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen, amen, amen. We're gonna close with a song this morning. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. Let's stand as we uh, make this the prayer of our hearts this morning.